We'll talk about the accused or the brethren. I'm going to tell you, I've, I've read a lot of books and I've done a lot of studying, but I've never heard or seen a really good teaching on the accused or the brethren that I felt was, was thorough. And so tonight, I, I want to preach on, preach as thorough, and I feel like it'll be a great blessing to you. But how many knows the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren? We know the story of Job, where Satan came and God brought Job to, to the devil's attention, but the devil began, first thing he did is he began to accuse Job. Saying, if you did this, if you took this from him, he would deny you. If you did this, and he kept accusing Job. And God allowed Job to go through a trial, a major testing in his life. But that you can see how Satan automatically was coming as the accuser. And the way I want to deal with this, I want to come at this with an understanding of this. We all have a response. When we see our brothers and sisters in Christ if you don't hear anything else make sure you hear this when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ we see churches we see ministries we see a city whatever it is that we we are looking at we're beholding we have two choices we can either respond by seeing the faults and we can be critical and anybody can do that that's not hard We can see the faults. We can be critical. We can be negative. We can be fault-finding. And by doing so, we can align ourselves with the accuser of the brethren. And we can begin to tear down. Or, same scenario, but whenever we see, and God allows us to see the, the faults, the things that need prayer... We can have Jesus' heart, His burden, and we can go before Him as an intercessor and weep and cry out for God to move and have His love and His compassion. And we can join with Jesus whoever lives to make intercession. See, the devil is the accuser. And he's all about, believe me, he is all about being critical, negative, tearing down, fault-finding. And the thing about fault-finders, it's a spirit. And the thing about fault-finders is this. Even if there's nothing there, they'll make something up. And that, that negativity, being cynical, and that's a really good word, cynical. Well, you know, it's just they look at everything through a negative lens. That's how they see it. And when they see churches and preachers and ministries, it's always through some kind of criticism. It's like they've put on some kind of goggles that, that literally tint their vision with criticism. That's the accuser. I remember the story of this one guy driving down the road. And, his, and he, was, he remarked to his wife and said, look at these yellow flowers on the side of the road. And she looked and she said, they're white. On and on, they kept going back and forth. And she said, I'm telling you, they're white. And then she started laughing and said, take off your glasses. And he's like, you're right, they're white. But see, a lot of people, their their vision is tinted. And they don't even realize it. And they're arguing. There are other people are saying, no, it's a move of God. No, the Holy Spirit's moving. And, And they cannot help but see it through that tinted vision that the enemy has put on them. 
And they're arguing, no, it's not a move of God. It's not of God. It's of the devil. You see what I'm saying? So we all have the choice when we come and we see in people, in churches, in ministries. And how many know sometimes, you know, our criticisms are just flat wrong? It's just us. It's something within us. But God may allow you to see something, though, that needs prayer. So there's one of two ways you can handle that. You can be negative, and you can join with the accuser and begin to go out and gossip. You'll see where I'm going with this as I preach this. The accuser is all about gossip, slander. You can go around and run it down. You can be negative. You can accuse it, accuse it to God and join hands with the devil and be the devil's prayer partner. God, you know, and start just accusing people to God. Or you can weep over them like Jesus does and really intercede and pray and have his heart. That's our choice in life. From this moment on, after you hear this sermon tonight, God's going to begin to hold all of us accountable that we have his heart like never before. Because, see, I've, I've done a lot of research and study, and I haven't heard or seen this type of sermon preached, or I haven't read it in a book yet. But this needs to be something that's out there, because too many people have this, these goggles on a criticism, and they don't realize it. There's people that base their whole so-called ministry on going from place to place. They write books. They preach sermons, everything. And it's all based on trying to tear down and destroy other ministries and other moves of God. And they really believe that they're of God. They believe that they are God's little sheriff. They've got God's little badge on. And they're going from town to town. You know, like the Lone Ranger, because they can't submit to anybody. They go from town to town, and they're tearing down everything they don't agree with. And I'm telling you, friend, that's, that's demonic. There's, there's an evil spirit about that. And it's divisive. Because ultimately what the goal of Satan is, is to divide the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said a kingdom divided can't stand. So Satan's primary goal, all of his attacks, all of his tactics, ultimately are meant... That in the end of it all, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, he wants Christians pitted against each other and divided. And Jesus is all about the unity of the brethren. As I've said many times, you know, when you die, your denominational little tag you wear, whatever that is, is either going to fall off when you go up or it's going to burn off when you go down. But you're not taking it into eternity. So let the walls down. Whatever it is, if there's been walls between the young and the old. I've learned this a long time ago. The Bible has taught us that the spirit of Elijah, the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Elijah, when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes in that way, he brings unity between the generations. He returns the hearts of the fathers to the children, children to the fathers. So he brings together the generations. But when there's a spirit, the nemesis, okay, of the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of Jezebel, where that spirit is, it will tear apart the generations. Did you catch that? And the Lord, when Jesus was toward the end of his life, how many knows Jesus knew that his end was near? Being the Son of God, he knew the future. And he knew that things were coming to a close. 
And in John chapter 17, toward the end of his life, he had his disciples with him. And he spoke things that were dear to his heart. And then he lifted up his voice to the Father and he began to pray. And what he prayed at the end of his life, one of the most important prayers that were obviously on his heart. Because if you're about to die, are you going to pray frivolous? So he was praying things that were really burning within him, that were deep within him. And you know what he prayed? He prayed, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. There had to be a unification. And that's where I'm going with this. So let me read you this scripture and get into the sermon. But Revelation 12:10. Then I heard a voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of His Christ, for the accuser of the brethren, who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. The accuser of the brethren hurled down, cast down. So you can see that this is something in the second heaven. This is something that's in the heavenlies, the battleground. I've spent considerable time exposing and teaching on three powerful spirits because I believe that we're going to face these and it'll end the last days. And we're also going to face them in our region. And that is the spirit of Leviathan, which is pride, the spirit of Jezebel, and the spirit of Antichrist. Their influence is widespread. So I've done a lot of teaching on those three. The stronghold that's in our region is religious witchcraft. If you have not heard the sermon I did a few weeks back on conquering religious witchcraft, it would be a really good precursor to this sermon that I'm doing tonight. But the goal of these spirits, I'm talking about Leviathan, Jezebel, Antichrist, those type of spirits, they come against the church. The goal of those spirits is to traffic through the stronghold of religious witchcraft because it's in the church to traffic through that stronghold and to take down those that would be the most effective for the kingdom of God. How many knows that the devil is not going to waste his time sending his forces against people that are serving his purposes? Or are lazy, lukewarm, dead, living their life as though they were baptized in lemon juice? Sitting there offended... Not wanting to do anything, the frozen chosen, those people, Satan will not target them. But those that are anointed with the Holy Ghost and with fire and want to go out and win souls, those he will target. Amen. When these spirits attack, they release tremendous confusion. They try to make victims look like the bad guy and the bad guy look like a little victim. They release tremendous confusion and deception. Their greatest weapon, though, is the sword of the accuser. So here's what I want you to just picture with your mind with me as a stronghold, like a big castle in a region over the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex made up of religious witchcraft. It's bondage. And trafficking through that stronghold are spirits like Leviathan, Jezebel, Antichrist, those types of spirits. But here's what they do. When they're really serious about destroying a person or destroying a church, they look down in their little bag, their arsenal. And as they open that bag up, there's all kinds of swords, there's all kinds of weaponry. But when they're really serious about destroying somebody, I mean really destroying them, and destroying that ministry, destroying that church, they'll reach down in that bag, they'll move other things out of the way, and they'll find the sword of the accuser of the brethren and pull out that sword, and they'll use that. Because they know 
that that's the, one of the most effective weapons against the kingdom of God because they know that they can find unsuspecting Christians that lack discernment and they can use them to carry out the, their purposes. In other words, they, can, they don't have to look too far to find a Christian that they can put that sword of the accuser in their hand and use them to do their dirty work. Next thing you know, somebody in leadership, somebody that, that God is using powerfully is being gossiped about and slandered. Covenant relationships that were important are now being divided. Pretty soon, there's people that were trusted, people that, that were close that now are enemies and pitted against them. Next thing you know, there's a church split. Do you see where I'm going with this? And it goes back to the accuser of the brethren who was fault-finding and negative and through that criticism began to try to tear down somebody. And let me tell you something else. There's a spirit of murder behind it because it's meant to assassinate that person's character and to kill their effectiveness in the earth before their time. To kill their effectiveness. They were supposed to have 30 years of fruitful ministry, but it's trying to abort and kill it after 10. It's a spirit of murder. I'm going to tell you, we're living, God's having me preach this for a reason. We're living in a time... Right before the coming of the Lord, I believe that the close of the church age is happening. You can see it. I did a whole series on the end times. I'm certainly not going to go back into much of that. But you can see end time prophecy being fulfilled in our time right now. The closing of the church age. The dispensation of grace. We're right at that time where the church age is going to close down. The days of Jacob's trouble, which is the tribulation, is going to happen, and then Christ's millennial reign. But we're living in that time. The end day. What the Bible says is the last days. Those prophecies about the last days, we're actually living in those days. Terrible times in the earth, but also a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And a great harvest. Because Jesus said the end of the age will be the harvest. And Satan knows that his time is short. In the book of Revelation it says that woe to the earth because he he knows his time is short and he's come down with a vengeance, you know. But God's needing people that will be faithful that he can really use in an awesome way in these last days. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect Listen, I'm going to tell you that some of the greatest champions will be those that have, that have really had to fight their way through and God teach them how to walk in victory. Because as they get the breakthrough in their life, they may have stumbled, they may have struggled. They may have been people that, that really struggled with sin, that really made a lot of mistakes in the early years. But as they work their way through it, not only is God going to anoint them and use them powerfully, but He's also going to use them to be a great encouragement to others. So you don't have to feel like that you have to be perfect. God loves to use flawed vessels. You don't have to feel like you have to measure up to anything. The Lord will take care of that. Just yield to Him. Let Him do it. Put yourself on the altar and say, Lord, I lay my life down. Send your fire, set me ablaze, and burn out anything that needs to go.
But the way that you conquer this accuser of the brethren, this sword of the enemy, it's rooted in pride. Somebody that has a pride issue will have an issue with that spirit of Leviathan. Which, you know, it's, it's sometimes very haughty and they don't even know it. Pride a lot of times really is like bad breath. They're the last ones to know it. And the scary thing about pride is, is that you can't hardly tell somebody that they do because they get so easily offended. They have a rejection thing about it. But anyway, the spirit of pride is deadly, it's dangerous, and that's the root. But the way that you conquer this is by letting the Lord do a deep work inside of you. And that's why I preached on last week. As we allow the Lord to deeply purify and purge the inside and burn and clean out all that stuff, then the enemy loses his hold on the outside. I feel like I just need to stay on that for a minute. The Lord is is calling us. There's been prophecies in this region. I share them a lot because there's a lot of people that may hear this one sermon that don't hear others. There's there's a lot of people that that need to hear this prophetic word. But there's a word Dr. Cho spoke way back, and he said that they were praying in South Korea and and, and that revival was going to break out. God's not through with America. He was going to send revival to America. Begin in Pensacola, then move 50 miles west. We've already seen the Pensacola. We're seeing the 50 miles west now with the Bay Revival. But he said he would back back up to the East Coast, shoot up the East Coast into New England area, across the nation to the Southwest, then up to the Pacific Northwest, and all America blaze and the fires of revival. Other prophets have seen when it is, when it's all ablaze and the fires of revival, Dallas would be the hub. God is doing a great preparation now for that. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what these sermons are about. Not everybody is hearing these type of sermons about a deep, deep humility, a deep repentance, a deep cleansing, but those that are hearing these sermons and responding are the ones that are being prepared for it. Did you know when a, a great wave, if somebody, you know, I hear that Hawaii has these huge waves, okay, so surfers go there, but it's kind of dangerous. And a, a surfer could go there and there would be this massive wave. And to somebody that's prepared, that wave is the ride of their life. But somebody that's not prepared, it's going to knock the fire out of them. It's going to break their board. It's going to make them wish they never went there in the first place. See, when revival comes, it's a blessing to those that are ready. But it can really tear up some people that aren't. And that's the truth. Is there a ministry that was not ready is going to be knocked to pieces, especially if it's built on sand and things that aren't right, and it's built on man instead of the Lord and things that, that need to be cleaned up. See, they should have already prepared and cleaned it up and got ready for revival, but if they don't, then the same revival that's a blessing to some will be a judgment to them. It's possible the sheep will even scatter, but they'll go to places where God's moving. Do you see what I'm saying? And God's trying to prepare a group of people. Some won't hear it. Some won't listen. That's why Jesus would get up and he would preach to thousands and say, those who have ears to hear will hear. And there there were hundreds, there were thousands that never, even though they heard Jesus, they never really heard him. There's people that will hear this and there's people that won't. Even if they hear the sermon, they still won't hear what the Lord is trying to say. And there's a great 
revival about to break out with the young generation. I feel it. And God is going to use that revival to help prepare some of the future leaders of when Dallas is a hub. Because those that are, you know, 16 to 20 or whatever, when that comes, they're going to be a little bit older. And God's going to be able to use them very powerfully. But there's a great, there's, there's movements right now where God is, is in this area moving to raise up leaders that are revivalists. There's movements of prayer and fasting. There's a great preparation. Do you feel it? There's a great preparation. And the Lord is, is, is trying to call out because He's needing people that will be harvesters and laborers. That will be used. And so God is wanting to really do a deep work in us to where when the devil shows up and he begins to attack, that we're not susceptible to coming in agreement with the accuser of the brethren. If we let the Lord do a deep work in us of getting things out that need to go and purifying and really do something significant within us, when the accuser shows up, he's not going to be able to use us for his purposes. Do you see what I'm saying? The Lord... Because the Lord knows, I remember listening to um, Brother Kilpatrick talk about the revival in Brownsville. And he said some things that really have stuck with me over the years. One of the things he said was this. He said that he never knew that you could feel God that powerfully in his life. He never knew you could feel God on that level. But he said he also never knew that you could feel the devil's attack on that level either. And he said they both came at the same time. And when he was laying under the power there, some of you are familiar with that revival, and when he was laying under the power by the podium, four hours, he was laying there, and the Lord was on him with such a thick glory that he couldn't move for four hours. And while he was down there, he was talking to the Lord, and he asked the Lord, he said... He said, do you, do you reckon the devil knows about this? That's a southern, do you reckon? But anyway, he said, do you reckon the devil knows about this? And the Lord told him, said, he knows and he's coming. And one of the things he also said that really stuck with me was this. I just heard, um, heard him preach at this conference I was at with um, Keith Miller. It was powerful. It was an awesome conference. But anyway, one of the speakers was John Kilpatrick, and he was preaching, and he said this. He was talking about pride and he was talking about Leviathan. Now, if anybody was to ever ask me, do you think that there's anybody in Brownsville that's the same after that revival? I would have emphatically said no. But after hearing Brother Kilpatrick preach, he said something I'll never forget. He said this. He said that there were some people that had an issue with pride and Leviathan. And revival broke out. They were in revival. God, God moved. He moved in their life. But he said after the revival was over, he said they never really changed on the inside deep down. And he said that pride resurfaced after revival. And he said they weren't any different after revival as when they went in. How could that happen? That's a scary thought. But it's that pride that gets in people and they don't realize it's there. The spirit of Leviathan, it says his scales are so tight together the air can't get through. Job 40, 41, somewhere in there it talks about it. But it's that the pride causes there to be a scaling 
to where the wind of the Spirit of God can't get through. And God deeply wants to touch people. So how do we get beyond some of these things is by deeply repenting and letting the Lord take it out of the inside. So the only way you're going to defeat something that powerful like Leviathan is if God has, has, has crucified you in Christ and that stuff has gone out of your heart, out of your life. I remember um, Francis Frangipane, just an incredible teacher, but he said this one time, he said, the victory begins with Jesus on your lips, but it's not consummated until Christ is formed in you. That's when it's complete. And I really feel that... I'm just speaking from my heart. This is definitely not like my best sermon or whatever. But this is just as the Holy Spirit's leading. Is that okay? Just off the cuff. I'm way out of the notes and all that. But you know, there was a scripture in Jeremiah that talked about if you were not able to keep up with men on foot, they wore you out. You couldn't handle that. They were running on foot. You couldn't keep up with them. He said, how in the world do you think that you're going to keep up with the horses? Men on horses. In the thicket of the Jordan, mind you. What God is trying to do is, He's trying to prepare people right now for this coming revival. Because when it comes, even though the revival has already begun, but when it really, really comes to fruition, even though the glory of God, the fire of God, the power of God is going to be absolutely amazing, I think some people are going to be shocked and how intense the spiritual battle against it will also be at the same time. And sermons like this are meant to help prepare us for the days ahead. If we can't even keep up with, with people on foot now, how are we going to keep up with horsemen then when everything starts speeding up? When you were wrestling on one level, but now you're wrestling on a whole nother dimension. And I believe that God is allowing us, many of us, to go through some major, major spiritual attack now early on because he's, he's doing a very deep, powerful work in you. Don't get so irritated sometimes at the process that God puts you through. Because it can really be difficult. How many knows the Lord knows how to tailor make a wilderness, buddy? That... Um, is a perfect thorn in your side, okay? It is, it is there. It is meant to be difficult for you. And it is meant for you to get all those rough edges knocked off your life. You remember when David went and picked up the smooth stones? They were smooth. They were giant killers. But they had to be in the river rubbing up against each other. The Lord sometimes has to put you in a place where things are rubbing up against you and you hate it. And it is irritating, but it's knocking the rough edges off you. And God's trying to make a giant killer out of you. And the whole time you're kicking and screaming because that edge just got knocked off. Oh, that hurt, you know. And the Lord's saying, you don't understand. If you'll let that get knocked off you and the other ones, I'm going to slay some giants with you down the road. The wilderness time is difficult. But I remember the fishermen talking about the story I've shared where he was out there and there was a a cocoon and he saw the butterfly trying to get out of the cocoon and he felt sorry for it so he tried to help it so he got his knife out and just cut it open and whenever the butterfly came out it, it came out you know fat and little bitty wings okay and so it couldn't fly it was messed up and the, the whole 
problem with that was that the butterfly squeezing itself out of the cocoon was supposed to be difficult. Because as it was squeezing through that cocoon, it would force all of the blood and everything to come into the wings. It was part of the process. And it forced its way out. It was very difficult. By the time it got out, then it could fly. But see, some people, spiritually speaking, they hate the process that God's trying to do in them so much that they run away from it. And spiritually speaking, they're running around fat with little bee wings and God can't use them to really soar and do something significant. (laughs) Man, where am I going with all this? What are you guys doing to me? I'm just kidding. So... It's the process that God is doing. And some of you are saying, why has it been so difficult? Because God's trying to make you giant slayers. Why? He's trying to prepare you. And if you'll let the process have its perfect work and do that work in you, God will really use you in a powerful way. How many knows that before the Lord can get the oil, He's got to crush the olive? See, people don't like the crushing. Nobody does. I certainly don't mean to sound all spiritual up here like I like it either. You know, when a rough edge gets knocked off me, I scream just like you. But the truth of the matter is, you learn over time to trust the Lord. And you, you learn as you go to yield to what the Spirit of the Lord is trying to do. But God is going to move this thing from just being on, on this level of where we're at... He's going to move it to a whole new level of anointing, a whole new level of... I'm talking about the glory. I'm talking about His manifest presence. Angels ascending, descending type of thing were a whole new level. And the enemy is going to send a whole new level of attack to combat that level. And there's a great preparation going on right now in people to be ready for that. I'm going to show you some things about spiritual warfare. I hope I encourage you. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. So I am in no way trying to, you know, tell you that you need to rush into anything. Listen, any time you go into spiritual, excuse me, spiritual warfare, you need to make sure that you're led by the Spirit of God. And if you are led by the Spirit of God, you're going to be under a proper covering, and they're going to be covering you. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about all that. I'm going to talk about entering, engaging in warfare and, and all the different things that you need to make sure is right in your life. But if, you, if God has called you to enter into some level of spiritual warfare, which primarily will be soul winning, how many knows that's a battleground? Seeing revival is a major battleground. But being used of God on the streets, if God is is calling you... So, as you're stepping out into enemy territory, and you're going after souls, and you're going after the kingdom of God invading dark places, whether you want to or not, you, you are going into spiritual warfare. You do realize that. And there's no such thing as a neutral zone. There's no such thing as... Things get tough, and then you go, okay, okay, time out, time out. You know, devil, go back to your corner. You know, let's just, just for a minute, just, there's none of that. 
There's a difference between this, it, you know, something like that and spiritual warfare. And the enemy is ruthless. I had a really uh, good friend of mine. He's been in the ministry for a long time. And he was saying when he came into a certain city, he said that he underestimated the spiritual battle. Now, his, his church began to really see a move of God. But just as much as he started seeing a move of God, he also started going through spiritual warfare. And he had one betrayal after the other. People betrayed him, split the church, would go start another church. Of course, that becomes the frozen chosen pretty quick because God's not going to bless that. And not only that, but then also he, his son got murdered. Yeah. And it was extremely difficult for him. I've talked to other ministers and another dear friend of mine that was telling me he had gone into a city and he underestimated somewhat the level of spiritual attack because when he was in Bible school, he was in Louisiana. I remember saying to him, I said, you know, I said, I bet you faced some spiritual battles over there, you know, in New Orleans, all that. He goes, yeah. He had some crazy stories, too. But he said, it wasn't nothing like what I faced. And he was talking about East Texas, by the way. He said, there's nothing like there. And I said, what do you mean? He started telling me stuff. He said, one betrayal after the next. Church splits. And then he said that some people got to where they hated him so much that they, they were bent on his destruction. And, and they actually drove a car down I-30 and got his daughter to the side of him and ran her off the road. These are church people. Anyway, she ran into an embankment. I mean, I guess it's attempted murder or whatever, but she ran into an embankment. And he had to deal with all this, you know, because what Satan tries to do a lot of times is he knows where to hit people, where to hurt, and he keeps doing it. So here you are trying to just get over the past betrayal, and, and you're, you're getting over it, you're beginning to take a deep breath, and here comes another one. It's like, you're trying to get over that, and then here comes another one. That's Satan trying to wear out the saints and put you in just survival mode. Where you're just surviving. It's like, man, I can't really deal with the harvest right now. I'm just trying to survive. That's where the devil wants to keep people. Anyway, let me give you some scriptures and I'll start closing this thing down. I'll pray with people. Or Ephesians 1.15. The question is to fight or not to fight. But you remember the story where Jesus said that there was a man that built a tower and he didn't count the cost. And he got partway through building this tower and it didn't get finished. And so people would go by and they'd make fun of him. They'd make fun of the tower. This, this man tried to build this tower. He didn't count the cost and now he's looking like a fool because the tower's not finished. And people were mocking him. And Jesus said, if you're going to go into this thing, you need to count the cost. Now, I really feel the Spirit of the Lord saying that tonight. We need, we, everybody needs to count the cost and realize that it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be difficult. Anyway, Paul said, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you may know him better. Some of you hear me praying this. This is a good prayer. To memorize these scriptures and pray this over yourself. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened, that you 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of your glorious inheritance in his, in his holy people. And his incomparable great power for us who believe. I want you to take notice of this. The, that power is the same as the mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. Now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, verse 21, far above. Everybody say, far above. All rule, authority, power, and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. But I want you to notice, this is important, that Jesus' position when he raised from the dead is he is seated far above. In a seated position, a seated position is a victorious position. You're no longer in combat. You already won. Now you're sitting down. Okay? He's in a seated position far above all of Satan's kingdom. All rule, all authority. Anything here on this earth realm, when you're dealing with principalities, powers, you're dealing with, with kings, you're dealing with monarchs, he's far above all of it. Not just above it, far above it. Now I want you to notice Ephesians 2, I'm going to read this. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom of the air is the devil. I want you to notice the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And that spirit is now at work in those, isn't it? You can see it in the world, friend. You can see the world getting darker and darker. But the church is getting brighter and brighter. There's more and more of a contrast. Verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. I want you to notice verse 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. And do you realize that you've been seated with Christ. Now, where's Christ seated? Far above all authority and power, all dominion, every name that can be named. And the Bible says, if you're going to stick with the Bible and not experience, the Bible says that we're seated with Christ far above all of that with Him. We're seated with Him in heavenly realms. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus and we all, we all know the rest of this we quote it for it is by grace that you're saved through faith it's not of yourselves a gift of God not a work so that no one can boast but I want you to see that positionally I think the reason why a lot of people don't have the level of faith that they need whenever in the days to come when we're coming up against a greater level of spiritual battle than what we are currently at you need to know that scripturally speaking you're seated with Christ far above all of that that means that you have authority over it that's the Bible Luke 10.18 you remember Jesus sent out his disciples the 70 and they were casting out demons and they came back and they were excited about it. And Jesus said this, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you or harm you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, 
that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. But Jesus said we have authority over all the power of the enemy. Some of you have had stubborn issues that you've battled. It may be financial, it may be in your health, it may be relational, it may be different things that God is going to give you a major breakthrough. And I'm saying this by the Spirit. He is. He's going to give you a major breakthrough and He's going to give you testimonies. And in the days to come, He's going to use you in a mighty way. But don't think that the devil is going to sit back and be happy about it. And what concerns me is, is the passivity and the fear that sometimes some preachers try to put in people. Listen, let me give you a few things to think about. Number one is don't ever make a pact with the devil's kingdom. That's got to be the dumbest thing. But you know what people are teaching? They're teaching people that if you will just leave me alone, I'll leave you alone type of talk. I'll go in here to this area, this region. There's principalities, powers. There's all this you know, structured garbage from the devil. The darkness is there. If you just leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. That's a pact with the devil. That's a pact with a fallen angel. How is that God? And not only that, but let me give you a few other thoughts. These princes and powers are not pacifists. That means that they're not going to just sit back and not do anything. There may come a point in time where they get tired of you. And not only that, but let me add this thought. There are a bunch of liars that are not going to honor that anyway. Do you really think they're going to honor a contract? You come in and go, listen, you know, let's draw up the papers. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. I'll do my thing, you do your thing. Do you really think they're going to honor that? Time passes, somebody gets saved, you make them mad, they're coming after you. And let me tell you else, something else. You may think, well, I'll just leave them alone, they'll leave me alone. Give me a break. Do you really believe that? Do you really think? That you going in here and seeing a move of God and seeing souls saved, that they're just going to leave you alone. So instead of trying to teach ridiculous doctrine that's unscriptural and get people full of fear, why don't we look at what the Bible says and understand when they show up, we are seated far above them. And Jesus has given us authority over all the power of the enemy and not be cowardly. You know, I had a guy tell me one time, well, I knew somebody else. Uh, let me say this story first. I knew somebody else when they were a kid. <laughs> they got attacked by a dog, okay? That, that part's the sad part. But I remember when we were older and we were teenagers, this little bitty weenie dog, okay, this big little bitty weenie dog, came out of nowhere yipping at him. And because he, he had had something happen when he was a kid, he was high-stepping like those, um, those people that are making a touchdown. You know what I'm talking about? He was high-stepping, and that dog was nipping at him, and I couldn't help it. I just fell on the ground laughing at him. But, but the point is that there was a fear. There was a fear in him that drew out the anger of that little weenie dog, okay? And listen, there's something about animals that they can sense fear. <laughs> <laughs> that even these little ones know that you're scared of. And so they're trying to put you in your place. But I remember one time I was talking to this dog catcher, and I was telling him, I was because actually Sandy and I were walking, there was a couple of dogs that, that were very vicious out there, and I called him. And I told him, I said, man, 
I said, just so you know, these these might be rabbit or something. I said, they're not happy. And he goes, don't worry about it. He said, I have absolutely no fear of dogs, and therefore they're intimidated by me. And he was right. I mean, he could go. He had no fear whatsoever, and he would approach them, and they would start backing off because they could tell that, that he wasn't afraid. That's exactly how it is with the devil's kingdom. People that have a fear issue, there's even little bitty troll demons that will run around and attack them and slap them around. But somebody that has no fear will push back tides of darkness. It's a fear issue. Are we going to be afraid of it or are we going to have faith over it? This is good. But some of the teaching and some of the books and some of the preaching that you hear puts people in a posture of being afraid. I remember laughing this one preacher. They had a... Listen, I'm, I'm not making a lot of this because I understand the power behind witchcraft, believe me. But they had made some voodoo dolls. Some, some of these um, witches out of New Orleans made a little voodoo doll of them, you know, and they were putting curses on them. And he sat up there and cut it up, threw it in the trash, broke it in Jesus' name. And I remember him saying, do you really think that I'm going to live my life afraid of some little voodoo doll and some witches out there, you know, shaking their little rattle and praying against me? He said, I'm not going to be afraid of it. See, the point is, is that some of that stuff is meant to intimidate and people that get afraid and they start backing off, it's like the enemy starts attacking that and pushing them back. Some people have run from battle lines out of fear. But I know this. Even if the winds of resistance are so strong, you literally feel it's going to blow the clothes right off your back if you will plant yourself down in the Word of God. And the Bible says when doing all to stand, sometimes you just got to stand, okay? It's not like you're making a lot of ground. The winds of resistance are so strong, it feels like hurricane winds, but if you will stand and you will anchor yourself in the Scripture, what it says, drive your sword down in the ground, you may not be able at that moment to fight it off with your sword, but you can drive it down in the ground and anchor yourself, and you will stay in faith. God will send His angels to come in from behind you and drive that back, and you'll take ground. But if you get afraid, and you're like, man, the winds of resistance are so strong, and you take out running, you're going to go right out of the will of God. And you're going to miss the blessing that God had on the other side of that breakthrough. Sometimes your greatest anointings come after your greatest battles. There had been a prophecy, some of you know about this, but there had been a prophecy about a tenfold increase of anointing one time. But let me tell you, friend, I went through it before that happened. Some of you know. I went through some major, major satanic attack before that happened. But on the other side of the satanic attack, the increase of anointing came. Amen. Ephesians 6.10. I'm going to start closing this out. I'm going to give you two more things. Talk about this. And I'm going to talk about really getting free from the accuser's influence within you. Okay, But this is the first thing I want to talk about. It says, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. For our struggle, our wrestle, is not against flesh and blood, but against... Let me just stop there. You know, sometimes it is hard to not get caught up with it being about flesh and blood, isn't it? Because all of a sudden, people are treating you like the devil. And it's easy to get offended with them and to see them as the enemy. And it's hard sometimes to not get wrestling flesh and blood, wrestling people. But how many knows our battle is not against people? It's not against flesh and blood. 
But it is against principalities and powers, world rulers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. That's what it's against. And if you're going to take, get outside of just your life and your family, if you're going to start taking ground in your city, and you're going to start seeing revival in your city, and souls saved in your city, you're going to face the spirit over that city, whether you want to or not. Whether you want the thing to be a pacifist or not. Whether you try to tell it, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. But whatever you try to do, it's still going to come against you and try to intimidate you and get you out of its city. And if your ministry begins to go outside just being regional, and you begin to come up to where you're affecting people on a broader, broader scale in other states in other nations, you're liable to come up against a world ruling spirit which blankets the world with its influence. But ultimately, the battle is in the heavenlies. It's where the spiritual battle is. And without reading this, just let me show you something. There's seven pieces of the armor in the seventh piece most people don't even know about. The helmet of salvation, number one, you have to put that on. That is, I believe that the armor is literal. I believe that there are spiritual warriors that are running around streaking the devil because they don't have any armor on. Some of them have certain pieces of armor on. They have a helmet and they may, they may got their shoes on, but they're running around looking silly because they don't have the rest of it on. And I really believe it's literal and I believe that angels can see it and I believe that demons can see if you got it on. So you have the helmet of salvation. That's your mind renewed with the scriptures that no matter what you're going through, no matter what the attack is, and no matter how much it tries to make the God look like a liar, that you've got the word of God in your mind and you're in agreement with what the Bible says. Number two, it is the, the breastplate of righteousness. We've got to understand that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, even if... You sometimes you fail and make mistakes, confess it. The Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you, move on. But you've got to be established in the fact that the Bible says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because the enemy will challenge that. And that battleground's in your heart. Don't let your heart condemn you. Don't let the devil keep bringing up your past sins to you. If it's under the blood, it's under the blood. Number three is the shield of faith. Some people's little shield of faith is probably about this big. And they're back there hiding behind it trying to do like this, you know, and all these darts are coming in. We need our shield to grow. The shield can get to a place to where it is so big that it's not only affecting you, but it's affecting others that can come behind you. Number four is the sword of the Spirit. You've got to know the Word of God. When Jesus confronted the devil, He used the Word. And people say, well, when did Jesus confront, you know, like wickedness and heavenly stuff like that? He did it in the wilderness when He faced the devil. That was the biggest one. And so, you got number four. Then you got number five, which is the belt of truth. You've got to be established in truth. Number six is the shoes of peace. Let me tell you something. Your walk has got to be in peace. The Bible says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. You've got to be a peacemaker. Hell may be going on around you, but you're in peace. People may be fighting in front of you, but you're going to stay in peace. Those that learn how to stay in peace, the enemy can't really get to them. That's the truth. So your walk has got to be in peace. 
But here's the seventh piece of the armor that most people don't know about. And it's right here in verse 17. It says to pray at all times in the Spirit. That's number seven. One of your greatest weapons is praying in the Spirit. It's praying in tongues. That heavenly language that prays the perfect will of God. Listen, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, I don't have time to get into a big thing about it, but it, it builds up your holy faith, the Bible says. It strengthens you. Okay, it says it edifies you, it strengthens you, it sharpens your discernment. You're praying the perfect will of God. I mean, there's so many benefits to praying in the Spirit, but it's part of your armor. In the days to come, here's what's going to happen. Some of you guys, please hear me. There's little cracks that have been in your life that God's sealing up. He's closing. He's healing you. He's healing you from inner wounds. There's things that God's doing. He's going to, he's going to totally solidify your life. But He's doing that because He knows in the days to come, there's going to be an intense battle that you're going to be able to survive. And other people are going to come up behind you, and you're going to help them. Because the enemy never takes revival sitting down. And this is the last thing. We've got to expose and defeat the accuser of the brethren, but it begins within us. Like I said earlier, it begins within us. See, the devil's kingdom as the accuser, first and foremost, the enemy tries to accuse you to yourself. Here the enemy is, you get a baby Christian that doesn't even know really how to walk in victory. And here's how the devil works. The devil will sit there and send some little little demon that will go to him and that spirit will keep tempting them and keep tempting them and keep tempting them and finally they fall into temptation. Then that little thing will jump on them and start riding them with condemnation. You're not saved. You're nobody. You're nothing. You'll never mount. And just keep riding them and riding them and riding them. And that will keep going until they figure it out. That's the accuser. That's, but see, that's not really a strong attack. That's an attack on, on the younger Christians. Pretty soon, they grow up and they figure out what the devil's doing. Okay? And they start, when something shows up, they rebuke it and they ignore the accusation. But the enemy will accuse you to yourself in your mind and try to make you feel like a piece of garbage. And you can't listen to it. That's the accuser. If you listen to it, it renders you ineffective because you don't have the courage and the boldness to get up and preach the word, to witness to people, or pray for anybody, or do anything, because you're sitting back in a dark room thinking, I feel God and I'm nothing. That's the attack of the accuser. The second attack of the accuser is to pit Christians against each other. Is it okay I recap on some of this? They'll try to get so-and-so, they'll put thoughts in their mind against you. And that person will be looking at you, and they're getting offended with you, they're getting irritated with you, and they don't even know why. You didn't even do anything. And in you, the enemy will start working on you and try to put thoughts in your mind to make you mad at somebody else. You don't even know why, but they really get on your nerves. And you're sitting here going, man, you know, what are they looking at? And you just, you just, you just irritate with them. That's a, that's a spirit. And it's trying to come at you as the accuser of the brethren to pit the two of you against each other. Discern it. That's why it's important to understand you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So-and-so may be on your last nerve today, but you need to go pray about it and, if there, and say something like this. Lord, I don't know why I feel this way, but if there's a spirit behind it, I bind it in Jesus' name. I command to stop this and go. And you'll notice that a lot of times it will start lifting. And all of a sudden that love returns for that brother or sister. Another thing that the enemy tries to do is try to accuse us to God. 
You saw it in Job's life. He will go to God and try to accuse you. But that's why it's important to agree with your adversary along the way. How many knows whenever the devil comes and starts accusing you to God, and you're getting this feeling from the devil saying, well, you lied today, you did this today, you, you did that, you've been tolerating this sin in your life. Well, if it's true, don't argue about it. If it's true, just agree with your adversary along the way and say, All right, Father, he's right. I did do that. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Wash me in your blood. I repent. I'm not... And see, it kills it right there. But if you argue with your adversary, who do you think you are, devil? I'm a child of God. And you, you did, you sinned. But your sinner's saying, I'm a child of God. Who do you think you are? Get out of my face. I'm not going to put up with this. You know? And the whole time, you really are guilty of that. You're not getting it under the blood. You're not getting it under the blood. And now it's opening a door for an attack of the enemy. Because you're taking it from a prideful perspective. That's good, friend. I hope you're hearing that. Now, some people read Jesus talking about that. Agree with your adversary along the way. Or he'll take you to the court. He'll put you in prison. And they don't even know what, what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's talking about. If the devil's accusing you and he's correct, repent of it. Get it under the blood. Get it dealt with. Don't argue with him because it'll open the door for an attack. This is the accuser of the brethren. Guard against negative accusing and amplified thoughts of others. You ever get those suspicious thoughts? I know they're talking about me. You ever get those? See, that can be the accuser. And the whole time they're not. They're talking about going to Starbucks later. Here you are looking at them. They're, they're all the way across the room and you're looking at them going, they're talking about me. I know they are. They, they don't like my shirt. They were saying something about it earlier. I, I know. And the whole time they're talking about, yeah, when we go to Starbucks later, I'm going to get this. And, you know, guard against these negative accusing and amplified thoughts. Another thing, don't allow criticism to remain in you. If there is criticism in you where you see something and you're being critical toward another person or a ministry or a church and you're being negative, don't stay there. Let it turn into intercession where you begin to pray for them. I hope you got that, because that is a big one. That defeats the accuser. Because you may be just flat wrong, but there's times you may be right. You may legitimately see something that's not right. But God hasn't called you and put a little badge on you to go around now and spread gossip and try to turn people against them and try to run them down and try to tear the whole thing up. That's not God. That's the accuser. What God's called you to do is to take it in prayer and to weep for them and to intercede for them and let the Lord fix the problem and to keep it to yourself. If you do get offended, be quick to forgive and to pray for those that have wronged you. Because I'm going to tell you, sometimes people really do get hurt. And if you're not careful in that hurt position in your life, you can begin to really get a venom toward those. And, that, and the accuser can start coming in and really messing with your head. So don't get, you know, if you do get offended, be quick to forgive and begin to pray for them. That's why Jesus said to bless those that curse you and pray for those that despitefully use you. Because it disarms the accuser. So here's the last thing. This, this is the effects of the accuser within you. 
This is called the stings of witchcraft at the end. But listen, the intimidation. If the accuser is coming against you, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to intimidate you. To get you to shrink back and to be in a shy position, a posture of defeat, to shrink back. But if you're going forward, don't let the enemy intimidate you. The enemy will try to confuse you and he'll try to bring disillusionment. See, sometimes in in the days of old, whenever people had these ships and there was a major storm, if the compass went out, they could get disillusioned about even the direction they're going because they look to the north, south, east, and west, and it all looks exactly the same. And they can get disillusioned. They can get confused. If you're not careful and the compass gets knocked out, you can get disillusioned. And that's this accuser. It's trying to get you where you're off course. You're confused. And here you are called to this, and you're over here now. So the enemy tries to intimidate you, confuse you, and get you disillusioned and off track. It also tries to tarnish your self-image, where you see yourself defeated and as a failure. And you're not. All of us are within our own flesh. But I'm talking about in Christ, you're not. You're a new creation. You are what Jesus says you are. And you need to read the Bible to see that. But you are what the Bible says you are. You're not what the devil says you are. That's why you have to stick with the Word of God and read it and make that be your confession about yourself. Because the enemy will challenge that. Just like he did Jesus. The Father just told Jesus, You're my Son in whom I will please. He was baptized. The Spirit of God came upon him. He went to the wilderness. The first thing the devil says, If you're the Son of God. He was trying to challenge that image. He was trying to get Jesus to not see himself as the Son of God. Another thing it will try to do is hold you back from your potential. Your potential is way up here and you're still functioning way down here. Maybe because you got hurt, maybe you're intimidated, maybe you're confused, maybe you're disillusioned. You see yourself as a failure. Whatever it is, the goal is to hold you back. Another thing is witchcraft, confinement and containment. Where you feel like you're confined on every side. You need to be broken out. See those words, when the the accuser gets in the mouth of Christians, their words have the power of life and death. And they actually can use their authority as a Christian to curse you. Just like a witch. And those words have power. They go out, out of their mouth, and it can begin to try to wrap around you and confine you. And you need to lift up your authority and break the power of curses and negative words spoken against you. And break that off your life. And we're about to do that. Feel it. And the last thing is this. The enemy attacks with successive stings of witchcraft. Number one, it will try to discourage you. If you allow yourself to stay discouraged over time, then you'll get confused. If you stay confused over time, the enemy will try to make you depressed. If you stay in depression you'll begin to lose your vision about what you're even called to do. Why am I even here anymore? Why am I alive? What's my purpose? If you stay in that place of not having vision, then you can get disoriented. If you get disoriented, you'll begin to withdraw and isolate yourself. And in that place, the enemy tries to bring despair. And in despair, people feel like they want to die. And ultimately, defeat. These are the successive stings of witchcraft trying to take people down. 
I want you all to stand with me real quick. I feel the anointing really strong about this. Some of you guys have had some words. And Father, we just come into agreement right now. We choose to forgive people that have cursed us, people that have been Christians. Are you all with me on this? Come on, just lift your voice begin to pray in the Spirit. Father, come on, that's it. Father, we lift it up right now. There's, there's been people that have maybe released curses. They've spoken things out of their mouth that have been negative, destructive, hurtful. It's been a curse. They didn't mean to. We forgive them, Lord, right now. Just, just you may want to say it. We forgive those that have cursed us. We release it. We bless them in Jesus' name. But, Father, I speak out right now. I ask you for the sword of the Lord to begin to move over this place. And those that are watching online, those that are going to be listening to this, those that are going to hear this in the future. And, Father, I come against these words, these curses, this confinement, this containment. Lord, as it's tried to hold people back and hinder, Father, I break it right now off every life. There it is. There it is. I break it and command it to lift. And I command those spirits. Who, man. I just felt like a bubble burst right there. And I command those spirits that have been trying to hold people back, trying to intimidate, trying to, trying to ruin their self-image, trying to cause them to be shy and shrink back to go right now in Jesus' name. Lift and go. Father, we break that in the name of Jesus. I command a lifting. Lord, I pray for a fresh anointing tonight. I feel that some of you in the sound of my voice, please hear me. You have felt like, where's my calling? Where's my gifting? What am I doing? And some of you have even felt like, that. where's the anointing and all of this? God is about to do something tonight in the way of a fresh anointing in your life and renewed vision. I speak about the Spirit of God, a fresh anointing and renewed vision. God is about to start speaking to you again about your calling and what you're supposed to be doing. And Father, I speak it. Let there be a release of a fresh anointing tonight and renewed vision impartation. Let it come in Jesus' mighty name. Whew, man, the Spirit of God is in this place.